0: Hi there and welcome back to the ESPN
1: Footy Podcast.
2: G'day everybody, welcome back to the pod. I'm Matt Walsh here with Jake Michaels and champion data's Christian Jolly to talk all things footy. Plenty to get to this week. We've got four massive finals previews. We're going to talk all things draft and off-season with Jasper Chalepa. We've got finals, X-Factors and a whole heap more. Jake, welcome to you. It's a bit old now, but your thoughts on the final
0: All-Australian team? Uh, it is old. I tell you what, I, for a, for a week where we had no f- no men's footy, it's it feels like it's been an eternity since we've stood here doing this podcast. A week? Yeah, I don't know. It just feels like a long time. Um, the All Australian team was a little disappointing. It was mostly well done. There were okay. a few changes I would make. Our one better. I did like our <laughs> one better. I think a lot of people would prefer our one by, uh, on by the, the, <laughs> the by the comments and feedback I saw all over social media following the announcement of the team. How Tom Liberatore doesn't make that team is baffling to me. I mean, it was one of the. wasn't just like in the top twenty players. I, I think there's a case to be made. He was in the top six to eight players this season. When you look at his production, he was so good. Career best year for him. Um, pretty much as a contested contested midfielder, mm. does everything you want. Ground balls, clearances. No Australian birth for him. No Not one and, jacket. And and this is the thing. And I I kind of mentioned this a while ago. If it comes, if it's between two players for the last spot or something, and even still, I don't think it should have come down to that. But if it was, I think you've got to go with the guy that's been doing it longer. So as tenure. much as, mu- yeah, at that certainly that hasn't, had it before. It's one thing if he's already got three Blazers. but he so who are you leaving out of the team? So I think you guys know I'm a big Zach Merritt fan. I don't think he was worthy of the Blazer this year. And I think Sarong, as good as he was, I think I would still have Tom Libertore ahead. I wouldn't have had Dan Houston in the team. I would have put Nick Dacos to halfback where he played uh, the majority of the season. Okay. Houston goes out, Dacos back there and Libertore in. And then a few changes um with the with the midfielders on the bench But look, all in all It was, it was a pretty solid team mm. uh, At least James Sicily Didn't get stiffed again and, Toby um, Green is captain you Toby Green it. Cap- Yeah, it was great Good to see um, Glad he got it uh, It would have been I think everyone kind of figured It was going to be either Green Or Bont and Pally yep. captain I think it would have been A bit of a Not a bad look But a little unlucky for Green To To You know, captain the Giants To the finals The dogs to miss out And, and yeah. Bont to get it Okay uh, and, and there's something to be said about best captain the best captain I mean we have so many there awards. are a lot of captains in the
2: All-Australian the, team the, this year yeah I think there were six yeah. um,
0: and a lot of new captains as well with, with um, Merit and Sicily. relishing
2: under the uh, pressure of captaincy
0: yeah so um, anyway uh, mm. that's that that whole little conversation there was basically my something I noticed Liberator. Oh, so Marine. I won't throw to you then
2: yeah. Okay. Fair you enough. You can skip me, <laughs> Christian. Uh, busy week in the champion data offices. I know there was a bye week for the men's footy, but there was plenty on, including AFLW. Some some finals previews. I'm sure. Like, what's what's the bye week like for you guys?
3: Oh no, it's pretty full on. So yeah, round one of AFLW kicked off. Pretty much the same crew involved in that. So everyone gets a week off from um, men's. Ends ends up went working on the women's. Plus <laughs> all the uh, all the live finals that we had. Um, sample VFL, yeah. obviously double headers and triple headers on. Saturday and Sunday, so now con- continually being busy at Champion Data and we'll be busy till the end of women's season. How many people do you November. have involved over a typical weekend? Ah, uh, oh. across the country, <sighs> just three hundred. I would, I would think between eighty to one hundred and twenty, depending wow. on how the rosters work out. Yep. So sometimes you're you doing know, multiple games a week. Yes, that's what I was going to say. Sometimes in WA, if we talk about their Colts reserves and league, they might play triple headers, and we might get away with sort of having, yeah. you know one and a half crew sort of working across three games the, and <laughs> exactly it, it's pretty hard to do three games people always put their hands up and say i really? love to do three games i love to do three games it's like well, you're going to be pretty you're going to be pretty tired by your third game and you know you don't want the quality you might to, miss something as well to, right to suffer so exactly there, there's that that, tra- that trade off of yeah getting the best people in the best role but also keeping them fresh and, and, and ready to go for the whole day but uh, yeah there's um, two girls Ashley and Amanda Ash and Amanda well, I'll shout out and they, they look after all of our rostering all around the country and as I said they're 100 to 200 to 300 people on the names that they've got to, you know, get into the right roles. And, and job. Yeah, Australia. exactly. Um, and and it's, <laughs> it's, all, uh, it's done all around the country. And yeah, they, they get us through the whole season quite well.
2: Oh, shout out to those two. Good stuff. Uh, Jake, I won't throw to you for something you noticed because you, you already haven't got anything. Yeah, fair enough. Christian, yeah, something well, for the bye week
3: well, that took your fancy. Again, just this, this was uh, we're going to do a big preview on the finals. This is something I noticed with the finals. But looked at all the teams uh, in the competition and how many times have had a guy kick three or more goals this year? Which team? Three or you more think, in a game. Yeah. Which team has
2: the most Which players? Which team
3: had that happen the most this year? Of the finalists? No. Um, well, I've looked at all. All eighteen teams are included but, in this. But table. is the team that had the most the finalists? Yes. Uh, I have no idea. I'm going to say Sydney. Oh, Giants. Well, I was going to say, Jake got the right state and Matt got the right team. So it was the Giants. 34 times they had a player kick three or more goals in a game this oh, year. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you meant different players. And oh, of course you did. I would have yeah. said but <laughs> 11 different players, which was also the most. Wow. So it's, it's the good. most by total and the most by player. So just quickly, Brent Daniels, Callum Brown, Harry Himmelberg, Perryman, Hogan, Kelly, Jake Riccardi, Cornelio, Tom Green, Toby Green and O'Halloran did early in the year. Most of those guys are going to be lining up for the week one of the finals. And we talk about X-Factors. I mean, you know, you talk about any one of those guys can come out and kick another bag of three.
0: That's a good one. one My X-Factor for the Giants has kicked a bag of three. So there you go. Mm, Uh, Go on, you were going to say? Um, I was going to say, actually, there was (laughs) something I noticed. I was just telling you guys this before we started. So I think everyone of the top of the eight teams contesting finals there, we all know Melbourne won it two years ago, the flag. Who is the next most recent premier of the the top eight? Sydney in 2012. Now I know I don't know in, how we right yeah. we check this in terms of how rare that is to only have one one of the one of the last ten years be a premier of a team. Whatever I'm trying to say, you know what I'm trying one, to say. One of, one of the eight finalists one of, had a premier has one yes. one of the last ten. So yeah, it's a little bit weird, but. Um, I can't imagine that's happened before, but obviously we have no Geelong, we have no Hawthorne, we have no West Coast, we have no Bulldogs. Um, so no Richmond. Yeah, it's a, it's
3: a yeah, it's bit a, and weird. It's, and it's the top four from a few years ago and now the bottom four and things yeah, like that. So. It's so, just a bit, measures. A,
0: a bit of changing of the guard. I know yeah. I know, people don't like talking about that, but it's the reality of, of the sport.
2: Oh, share the success around. I'm talking as a Carlton fan that hasn't seen much <laughs> of it. Uh, good stuff. Something I noticed, um a so uh, I wasn't going to complain you love,
0: just, you love- Given little needles to these companies, don't you?
2: I didn't complain on the pod because it has nothing to do with the podcast, but I missed tickets? out on Taylor Swift tickets. Um, so I wanted Taylor Swift tickets. You and tickets. everyone else, I think.
0: Ticket Tech was in charge of that. Luke Combs, I went and saw, but only by the virtue of someone else. I never heard of that guy until a month ago. Now I reckon I've heard a thousand people mention his name. He's I literally never heard of him. He can sing guy. very well.
2: He's a very good country singer. If you haven't heard his stuff, check it out. Uh, but he was also, so his tickets were on sale through Ticket Tech as well. And so are finals tickets at the MCG. Mm. The one thing that they have in common is ticker Tech. And the one the one thing that really grinds my gears about Ticketek is that their
0: queue system makes absolutely no sense. So there's no so, there's so no you the don't same, join the queue, it is potluck. And yeah. yeah. So that was the issue everyone was having with Taylor Swift. It was just you're in a queue and it's refreshing every time. Someone seconds. might
2: click on halfway through the day and you're get in within 15 seconds, yeah. whereas someone who had you know,
0: five computers open mm. and, and was there for seven hours, missed out completely. thing that I get frustrated with Ticket Tech, and it's not just them, it's all of them, but the, these fees, it's like they add three fees on. This is a servicing fee. This is a print-at-home f- f- fee. There's one that's a fulfillment fee. What <laughs> the hell's a fulfillment fee? You're fulfilling the thing I'm paying for? And you can't choose you where be. your seats are. So you're kind of given the luck of the draw. And I've, I've heard
2: firsthand and on the radio, I love listening to people whinge about this on the radio, but I've heard, firsthand I've had people who got on straight away, got their tickets and they're like, yeah, they're okay. And then someone who was in the queue for 45 minutes got better seats. Yeah, that's Riddle cool. me that. It's not very transparent. And I Ticket would encourage, out, sort it out. <laughs> I would encourage um, Andrew Dillon, maybe he has a, has a word with the him. The, well, what does
0: he say? I don't know. He's the,
2: he'll be the CEO of
0: the AFL. Yeah, I know, but, what, but of, what do you say? Sort uh, of, Get a better process for your tickets. Should we talk about footy? Should <laughs>
2: four massive <laughs> games, four massive finals previews. Uh, sort of where each each team can win and can't win. I guess their first one. But um, Collingwood versus Melbourne on Thursday oh, night is a massive game. And we've talked in the lead up to this podcast a fair bit, Jake, about how you know, and it's it's very one dimensional. But the, the the conversation kind of remains
0: kind of relevant. Is mm. is the winner of this game odds on to win the flag? I think they will be. Um, what, yeah, they definitely will be. I think after this game, probably. Short, but uh, certainly um, the favourite. And I think I think when I debated with Rowan Connolly this uh, this morning, actually um, on the website you can read and just about who wins the premiership. And and we're both kind of eyeing this game off. Mm. Um, and I think you're right. Whoever does win it is in prime position, I think Melbourne. I think Melbourne is the team that will always the one to beat. And not just because they do have that that sort of They've done they've done it recently, and we we know they tick all those boxes in the in Champion Premiership standard and all that sort of stuff. I think they'll love the wet weather on Thursday night. Mm. I think that'll really suit the D's, Cade Chandler types. Yeah, just in the midfield as well. I think particularly the the bigger bodies in the midfield with with if he's playing there and Viney and Oliver back, and uh, I, I just think they will get the ascendancy through the middle mm. um, and I don't think the loss of someone like Jake Melsham will be as stark as it may have been um, in another game
2: so ground ball gets inside 50 is one of the stats that you've brought to the table Christian and the D's are first in that so
3: if the ball is in yeah, in, and con- it, in
2: the contest and in the forward and
3: 50 Collingwood's forward, so it's looking at Collingwood's forward 50 they're, they're in their, in their forward 50, their uh, 16th for ground ball gets one inside their forward 50. So again, Jack Ginovan's one that's come in in the last couple of weeks and probably yeah. helped. You know, He's only won two or three here and there, but he's probably the one that that needs to start winning a lot more. They're actually really, really good at finding targets and finding clean marks inside 50. But once the ball hits the deck inside their forward line, they're sort of given up possession to the back line. Yeah. They're coming up against the number one defense for ground ball uh, in the defensive 50. So again... You look at May, Lever, those guys just have to bring it to ground. And then you've got guys like McVee, Salem, mm. Bowie, and all, all the guys that are even pushing back from the midfield that are sort of, yeah, going to help Melbourne sort of dominate that area. So you talk about a wet-weather game. As I said, Collingwood have really been preferring to take marks and kick easy goals from set shots. It's going to be a scrap in, the, in at ground level in their forward line. And at the moment, going mm. into the game, Melbourne have a clear advantage in not that to, area.
0: Not to spoil uh, Rocco's opinion, but he, he's really of the belief that this won't be the last time we see these two teams playing. So, wow. so in other words, grand final he, he kind of thinks that these will be the two that will be there on grand final day. And you think that it would be, you'd, well, you would hope as a as Melburnians that the it'll be different conditions on grand final day and it's not still raining four weeks from now. But um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised. And I it's not... I know I haven't been the the biggest on Collingwood over the last 18 months, but I do think Melbourne will win the game, but I think Collingwood can certainly bounce back and they... I would not be surprised if they were there on Grand Final Day as well. So these are two like pretty good defensive
2: teams. You think Melbourne probably has the edge in the midfield. Mm-hmm. The foreline line really interests me. So the Ds are quite a heavy inside 50 team, but they don't convert a lot of their opportunities. So they kind of just get it in, get it in, get it in by weight of numbers and, and hope that it works. Whereas the Pies are a bit more methodical, I guess, about the way that they go inside But I think 50. that, and not to keep banging on about the weather, the but weather that does go but out the window a bit. No, no, I, I think it probably benefits
0: the Ds. If you can get more inside 50s... That's what I'm saying, 50s, yeah. That's what know. I'm saying. The ter- they'll, 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 they can dominate that territory game... Collingwood's slick ball movement—it's harder to do that in the, in those conditions.
2: So, uh, if we have to t- look, talk about an X factor for both of these teams mm. for finals, not
0: just this final but the entire final series, can we define X factor? I hate that term. Go on, you, you give well, it. Well, I mean, everyone. So I, I was mentioning this the other day, and someone said, "Oh, it's Jordan Degoe. Jordan De is not an X factor. Jordan De is one of the Collingwood's best players. You can't be an X factor if you're in the at least." Five or six best players. Okay, you've got to be someone that yeah you're playing every you're week. Bob up, but you have the ability to just turn a game in a quarter. So we talked or, about this guy or, last
2: week. Jake Melksham would have been the guy. So
0: Jake Melksham, yeah, not just because of the fact that he can kick, you know, two or three in a quarter and get get the D's going, but the fact that he was doing these lockdown roles on some of the competition's best uh, key backs. He's, he did it to Andrews, I think he did it to Sicily. Um, so he. He's so valuable. So obviously he's not there anymore. So who else would it be? Mm. Um, I had Jacob van Royen and and this is a little bit weather dependent. But it's if he
2: can impact the scoreboard, mm. given the weather, uh, and given his inexperience, and given his age, and given Huge what he's boost. been asked to do. Yeah. Uh, if he can, if he can kick two or
3: three, I think that really helps the D's cause. Mm. Yeah. My expectation probably got more. I got. When we get through the other three games, I've got single names for all of them. But this game here, I've probably looked at an area of the game, and again, the weather and, and scoring from clearances. So we know that it's probably going to be a lot more stoppages in finals anyway, plus the wet weather is probably going to bring more. You've got seven of the top 15 players for scoring from clearances in this game. So that's winning a clearance and being able to turn that into a score um, for your team. You've got Jack Crisp, who does that 44% of the time. So 44% of the time, he wins a clearance. I think he's only fourth or fifth in clearances for Collingwood, total clearances. But converts that into a score 44% of the time. That's that's equal first in the competition alongside his teammate, Taylor Adams. So you've got those two guys mm. that, again, if they can win five or six stoppages and turn three or four of those into yep. scores, it's going to help them. Uh, for Melbourne, they've got Petrarca and Viney, who are sitting 10th and 12th in that stat. Pendlebury's also in the top 15, and Oliver as well. So some obvious names. I know you just said those are the guys that perform yep. every week, but I think it's really going to come down to Melbourne have the turnover game sort of... Uh, have the advantage in the turnover game anyway, but the clearance game with the wet weather should should come to the fore. And again, it's probably going to be who can burst out of those stoppages and really get some quality out of there.
2: Jack Ginnivan for the Pies came in uh, for the last round and stamped his impact on it. And I think if he can
0: have a similar impact uh, in finals. Mm. Interesting yeah, one to watch built for it. I mean, we saw what he did Anzac Day last year. I yep. think he'll relish it. In... I mean, kind of goes against what I said before about the X factor definition, but <laughs> but to hit, but to what Christian's saying, I mean, clearances and that contested ball first is going to be so valuable. And a guy that um, has really sort of fallen off the 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 radar was um, Tom Mitchell, mm. and I mean, he's going to be so valuable for them, particularly going up against such a. Such a big body, Grooties, strong kind of, yeah. midfield in the Demon. So, yeah, keep an eye on it.
2: Blues and the Swans on Friday night. Uh, weather will marginally improve. But it'll still be cold. Very mid-July kind of weather. I guess the Blues are used to playing mid-July. Mm. Um, both coming off a loss. So, the Swans uh, won the matchup between these two earlier in the year. Do the Blues deserve to be such heavy favourites?
0: Uh, well, that game was up in Sydney, yes. I believe. Um, and, oh, look, I think they do. I mean, it's so much has changed in that time. We're, go- we're talking... I think about three months ago. It was around the middle point of the season when the Blues were in their slump. Um, You know, Carlton finished the season winning nine of the last ten, and the only game they lost was one they didn't really need to win. So I think the Blues deserve to be favourites. Some players back. Sydney by no means, and a few people I've spoken to all expect Carlton to to waltz through this one. I don't think it's going to be the case. Um, I think they will win, but I don't think it will be... Uh, a simple task So the Blues are A very strong around the clearance In the contest So yeah. obviously the number
2: one Num- yeah, uh, best the Clearance team The number one points four team the, the number one contested possession team From round 14 onwards yep. Christian the Swans have really struggled In that area So this is where the Blues Really could get uh, a leg up
3: Yeah so clear Again Total clearances You're looking at, And this is going from round 14 onwards You're looking at the best team In Carlton for Clearance differential To 16th for Sydney So the, the third west di- Worst differential for Sydney So they're just not getting Their hands on the ball first at stoppages and getting and getting it moving their way. But then you go down to points from clearances and Carlton mm. are first. Sydney are actually second. So Sydney are getting Efficient. high quality from their clearances. Carlton need high numbers. Um, as I said, they, they were at world record pace for how much they were outscoring their opposition each week from clearances, Carlton. Uh, but yeah, Sydney have that game quite you know, down pat as well. As I said, the second best in score differential. It's the points from turnover. Again, Carlton are 13th in that stat. Sydney is sixth. So... If you compare Carlton turnover game to the rest of the top eight, it's it's a fair way off the other finalists. Mm. Uh, when
0: you see two teams come up against each other, not necessarily a final, just any game, and one is so dominant in clearance and the other one is down the the other end, do you, so, how does that often play out?
3: Well, again, so Sydney, as I spoke about, number one for points from clearance, they're the number one pressure side anyway. So mm. they're almost set up to make that clearance. Yeah, we're going to lose the clearance. But it's probably going to be a messy clearance, and we're going to sort of try to get you on the turnover going the other way, and then the other which way, was that,
0: obviously a concern with the Blues, particularly
3: earlier in the year. Yeah, it was those clearance, turn it over, and then it was just going yeah, back it the other was, way. It was out in general play, which yeah. again it's still Carlton have, have tightened that area, but they're right. still not dominating out in in general play. So. Mm. so,
2: something the Swans obviously want to do is make it hard for teams to move the ball. So they're one of the toughest teams for for, for opposition teams to move the ball from defensive fifty into forward fifty. How much of that can be attributed to? The SCG. I know that people would like to bang on about the SCG being smaller. It's actually not
3: that much smaller.
2: Is it an SCG thing at all, or do we think
3: that it's just more uh, of a game style thing? Probably haven't looked separated it for the last two or three years by venue, but I think it is a game style thing. They've been, I mean, Longmire and you talk about Sydney. The one of the the big myths about Sydney, I think for six or seven years, people always banged on about. They were the best contested possession team. They don't lose contest. They don't lose contest. when they had Brett Kirk, Josh Kennedy. Mm. Well, they did. They they lost contest. They were seventh and eighth, and ninth for, for contested possession differential. But it was that feeling you got when you watch Sydney that nothing was ever easy. That yeah. they were they were going to always give you a hard contested game and and that, that's probably yeah been Longmire's MO It's we don't need to dominate and win contested possessions but our games are going to be more contested than everyone else's so again you look at they're, they're the as I said number one pressure team second hardest to move the ball against um, but they've also got the best disposal efficiency of any side so when they have the ball in hand they've got the third best kick rating as well they've actually turned into a really skillful team this year. Swans have. Yeah, so guys like, you know, we look at Goulden and, mm. and probably even, you know, McInerney, Warner, some of the ball use that they get out of congestions and is really, really good. Plus, they've got really safe ball users uh, behind the ball. So they're sort of, you know, again, I think they're getting, uh, they're probably underappreciated for how skillful they have been this year, Sydney, and, and how good they are at moving the ball. Um, for sort of Carlton's, you know, again, talk about the outside skill. They're 15th. 15th for kick rating, 9th for end-to-end ball movement. So, again, it's not a strength mm. of Carlton. They've sort of had to tinker and change and try to keep up with the rest of the comp uh, in that area. But, yeah, Sydney has sort of been pretty consistent in terms of making it hard for other teams and being skillful themselves.
2: Looking at the matchup. up uh, the area where I look is City's defence. A little bit undersized, and you look at Carlton and what they can throw forward. They may yep. be able to
0: stretch them. Oh, they are. They're, they're undersized, for sure. I mean, particularly when you look at... You know, Kurnow, Mackay, De Koning, if Cripps was to roll forward as well, you know, yeah. they're all big
2: bodies. Uh, Pitnett, does he get a game?
3: Well, yeah. It, depends. I, it Certainly, it depends on the conditions, but I, I don't know if you can play all of those guys. Exactly, it'd be interesting. Pitnetting, and De Koning is, even as a cult sport, is i got no idea how, who they're going to pick out of those two, whether you pick both because of the weather or not. But again, probably the third one for me, the, the X Factor I choose in this game, again, probably was a little bit of an obvious one if we talk about the start of the year, but I think Harry Mackay has been a little bit underappreciated in terms of what he was doing in terms of just being able to provide a target forward of the Mm -hmm. ball so rounds 1-17 to he was sort of you know um, getting smashed for his his goal kicking in front of goal and people you know I was probably one that probably 3 or 4 weeks earlier was probably even calling for him to go down to VFL and just try to find some more level but the one thing that we sort of didn't give him enough credit for he was equal most contested marks of any player in the first 17 rounds it was the most of anyone not named Charlie. as Ballard and Charlie Ballard <laughs> and Charlie Kernow were That's the cool. only guys equal with him. But he was also top three for lead marks, seventh overall for all marks. And I looked at the top sort of seven players for marks in that time, in those first 17 rounds. They were all general defenders and key defenders above him. Guys, Luke Ryan, yeah. James Sisley that, yeah, they're taking intercept marks, but they're also getting cheap little kick-in marks right. or backwards <laughs> kicks marks and things like that to help boost their numbers. Yeah, He's one guy that gives you an outlet down the line. He helped, helped win the game the earlier in the year weeks. against
2: Hawthorne, I think. Three bailout contested yeah, marks in G- the last Geelong five minutes. Round Geelong round two as well. Apologies. Yeah,
3: Geelong round two was a big one. Um, so, yeah, I think just that ability to sort of find mm. Harry Mackay on a leader on a contestant mark 80, 90 metres from goal is going to be mm. really valuable for Carl. Mackay
2: was my X Factor as well for the reasons mentioned.
0: Yeah, I think my X Factor from this game, I'm just looking at probably the game rather than the two teams, I think it's Nick Blakey. Yeah, and he, he was my swan. Well, he was he's, was the best player on the ground the last time these two sides Was played. he robbed for the medal? I uh, don't he's he was robbed. I think Warner got, got the medal. It was pretty close. They were both really good. Yeah. Um, but he, obviously, he, we know what kind of player he is. He gives them that bounce and drive off off half-back. Um, and the Blues couldn't really contain him last time. So they need to put a little bit of attention to him. He's someone who can, not necessarily the X-Factor in the sense that we'll have a great quarter and turn the game. It's probably what he can do over the course of the, yeah. of the night.
3: Um, and the Blues need to... Uh, keep an eye on him Probably a quick X factor For me for Sydney Is Isaac Heaney So last time they played I think he played About 70% of his Heaney? 70% of his game time Was played in the midfield Against Carlton Last time they played Interesting Second highest percentage Of any game this year Hasn't re- hasn't been close to that In any- He played sort of Two weeks in a row In the midfield And then gone back forward But again Clearance domination For Carlton If Sydney starts to fall Behind in that early I'd expect Heaney to one that goes Into yeah. the midfield he won the team-high seven clearances in the last game they played, so he's going to be valuable in my
0: there. Ex, my X-Factor's buddy. He might come back for it.
3: A- <laughs> <laughs> uh, Saints and the Giants. They reckon
2: they'll sell 60,000 seats for this. Yeah, so maybe they, they have well. eclipsed the marble. I reckon they will. Which I think we called for last week. 60, if they can get that's more, only 60%. Turn full. up, Saints. First final in Melbourne since 2011.
0: For the Saints. For the Saints, there I think. Go. Or 2012. Um, no, 2011. Oh, I don't know. One of them. Yes. It's been a long time. At least 10 years. <laughs> yeah, uh,
2: I could see this being slowed down. I think Ross Lyon would look at how the Giants like to play, which is ball movement, right? And try and really restrict this and make it a bit more low scoring if he can. Um, so I can kind of see this being, not, not the most boring game. I mean, there's only going to be four games, but I can see this being a bit more tactical and a bit more momentum swingy and, and that kind of influence on it.
3: Yeah, I think you're right. I think that's how, you know, Ross Lyon always gets the credit. I think in a game that Ross Lyon coaches, he usually does get to control the pace of the game. Um, So whether, you know, it's a fast or slow game. And again, you talk about St. Kilda, it's a very easy profile to look at. First for points against, but 15th for points for. Second Mm. hardest to score against once inside 50, but the worst at scoring at their own inside 50. Uh, fourth for points against from turnovers, so they don't get hurt from the intercepts. but 11th for points against from turnover. And then the clearance is the other one. They're second for points against from clearances, so they don't get scored against from clearances. The ball's not going anywhere. But the 17th for scoring their own clearances. So they just... Again, it's about getting the ball out into space and then sort of starting again. And, and we have spoken about, you know, really high disposal and high mark games by St Kilda and their opposition, where Ross Lyons just try to control the tempo and, and the pace of the game. But I think for the Giants, I mean, again... Part of their their mo and their, what they started with Kingsley was their ball movement. They're you know trying to recreate what Richmond are doing across half back. But by the end of the year, they finished third for pressure of aflo- pressure applied, a third for points from turnovers this year. Uh, you know and second best side, or oh, sorry, third best side at forward half intercepts as well. So they can sort of get you sort of hemmed back into your back half quite well. So St Kilda. Yeah, they'll try to take the slow ball movement, but GWS probably won't mind that because they know that they can pick you off and get you from turnover if you make one little mistake.
0: The Giants were when when all these matchups were finalised. The Giants was the team that I thought I was most confident about uh, in terms of who would which of the eight teams are you most you do expect to, to win, win the first week. The first Brisbane. Week. The, I still thought no. it was the Giants, uh, and I was surprised that they opened as an outsider in this game. They've now shortened in to be the favourite. At least they were the last time I checked. Um... I, and I think it's the same sort of thing as we said about Carlton. That they're, they're, not that the Saints aren't in form, but the Giants were, have been one of the form teams in the back half of the season.
2: Uh, interesting quirk for me is that uh, the Saints have played two games at the G this season. That's it. Giants have played one. Uh, and since 2019, the Saints have played 10 at the MCG. And the Giants have played 12.
0: Yeah. Who does it favour more? It's a good question. I mean, like, I mean, the sample it's, size it's, is so I,
3: small that I don't know view. if it favors either of them more, but it fav- it definitely favors the Giants more that this is at the G, not yes. Marvel. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, X Factor, any thoughts? I
2: have got two, uh, but you go. No, go on. Uh, so I had Jack Higgins. We were talking about the, the three goals. Um, that the So 11 players that the Giants have had that have kicked three goals um, or more in a game during the season. Yep. I feel like three goals in a final is a really big effort. And in a final, well, I expect to probably be a bit more low scoring. Um, if someone like Jack Higgins can get off the chain a bit um, and, and boot two or three, it, it'll it it'll really help the Saints yep. cause. Uh, the other one, uh, kind of in the Nick Blakey mould, is Naziah Wanganin-Millera. They try and use him off that half-back line a fair bit, and his disposal to the eye test is, is really good. And he's a smart ball user and he knows what he wants to do with it. So if they can set up a bit of ball movement out of the back line through him um, and get some marks down the line and, and move the ball methodically as they like to do, I feel like that could, could also help uh, the Saints cause. Mm-hmm. Giants, a um, bit of a tough one. I, I kind of, before you even mentioned the three goal thing, it was going to be Steven Canelio. because you can throw him through the midfield. You can throw him forward. Uh, and he's one of those players that... I don't know. Big game. I'd like to see him really take it by the scruff of the neck.
0: Mm, I think Brent Daniels is a guy that I uh, have been really impressed with at times throughout the year. Um, not, not, it just it gives you another another sort of version of what Toby Green can do in terms of just that sort of hitting hitting it at half forward through the forward line can kick goals can go into the midfield for a little burst and he's just a clever player, clever ball user, and he's a difficult matchup. I think he's a guy that same thing as I said before about Blakey and all that you you just you can't let these guys get
3: going early. Well I think both of them got it both teams have got one of those guys. So Brent Daniels at one and Dan Butler at the other, both really elite pressure players but are really elite ball users as mm. well. So they they chase you and they make you turn it over and then if you, if you lose possession to either one of them they're usually going to hit a target inside yep. the forward fifty. So my two X factors were more matchup wise. Jimmy Webster Got a big job on Toby Green. Wow. Um, so Green, last time they played early this year, had a couple of goals, five score assists, ten scoring involvement. So just, you know, dominated for the, for the Giants. But Webster didn't have much time on him. In the last three games, Webster's spent about 120 minutes of him for zero goals conceded. So all of Toby Green's goals have either come off Wilkie, Dougal Howard, I think Ben Patton had him last year. Jimmy Webster's done really, really well in three or four matchups on Toby Green. So look for him to lock that, that one down. Like that. And another one in the midfield. You don't usually match these two guys up. But Kieran Briggs trying to sort of go head-to-head with Rowan Marshall. We know Rowan Marshall, you know, we spoke about before the pod, probably unlucky not to be the starting Ruckman in the end of, of the All-Australian team. Tim English got the nod instead. But Kieran Briggs, so third amongst Ruckman of... Uh, for contest contested possessions. You guys this year. you guys love Kieran Briggs. Yeah. Well <laughs> again you you look at Briggs as I said, third for contested possessions among Ruckman, Marshall's second. Um, Briggs is number one for clearances, Marshall's third, Briggs is second for tackles and Marshall's third. So, again, all the things that we pumped up Royal Marshall for doing the last two or three years, Kieran Briggs is doing that.
2: Saints are a four-game winning streak against the Giants coming into this one as well. Brisbane and Port Adelaide, probably the safest bet of the week, I would have thought, mm-hmm. but you thought the Giants, um, which is interesting. Lions undefeated in Brisbane this season. What does Port need to do to, to win this?
3: Again, it's it's... Port have a really clear uh, profile And it's win forward half they, they need to win the inside 50 count They need to uh, have the ball live in their forward line So if you look at scoring by zone for Port Adelaide So points from defensive 50 They're 16th Points from defensive mid Which is centre half back They're 16th Points from centre bounce First So get, get, mm. get first hands of it out of the centre And they're good Points from attacking midfield second, points from forward 50 first. So they just they don't move the ball end to end quite well. They won't be able to play sort of, you know, let Brisbane get the ball forward and counter-attack. It's almost going to be that one stat I'm looking at. Is Port winning the time in forward half or the territory game? That's what's going to keep them Do in the game. Do you give them much of a chance? Again, if if they they just got to get that one part of their game right, it's not like they've got to fix three or four parts of their game. I, I give them a big chance because, yeah, if they can frustrate Brisbane and just... Again, but the one thing we know about Brisbane is they're the... The, the number one team from turn, scoring from turnover this year, I think it's the second highest percentage we've seen in about six or seven years. So mm. they do have that ability to pick you off it and sort of go end to end and score. Um, but it, again, another interesting one of this is you look at, I think, disposals per game. These guys are 18th and 16th for just disposals per game. So the, the number one most used and quoted stat that everyone talks about is how many touches someone had. Brisbane Port don't play that style. They don't need high disposal games. Mm. They just sort of get the ball and go straight for it. So, as I said, Brisbane are very direct from turnover and Port are very good at making the ball live close to goal anyway where they don't need sort of high handball chains to score. So Could be a shootout as well. Yeah, I think it'll be very, very direct footy. Um, as I said, I don't think there'll be a lot of um, tempo footy or sideways kicking going on in this game.
2: Lions have the best record against uh, the top eight teams, so eight and two this season against top eight teams. Mm. You know, Collingwood six and four, the D's six and four, Port
0: five and three. So there's something to think about as well. An X Factor from you, Jake? um I think one of the the biggest X factors in the league is Sam palwell pepper I mean he's a guy that and I said this a while ago and I'll, I'll say it again have on the EVA on finals the yeah, I, I mean I did yeah. he is a player and mark my words he will win Port a final or lose Port a final he is that kind of guy and that not that doesn't necessarily need to be what the X factor is but he he can have a quarter where he kicks three and wins the game for Port like We've seen him do things like that, where he's kicked miraculous goals or just laid a couple of big tackles or big hits and stuff like that. We've also seen it the other way, where he's probably had a few brain fades, given a 100-meter penalty away or whatever it might be. (laughs) But he's a guy that, if you tell me Sam Powell Pepper was one of Port's best players, I reckon they're a good chance of winning.
2: Yep, that's fair. Zach Bailey, uh, sort of similar vein, forward of the ball, maybe Rolling through the midfield a bit, but can can kick goals quickly and can mm. kick good goals, yeah. important goals for his side. Takes his chances. Um, another one that, that may come in is Lincoln McCarthy. I think we're talking about a lot of forwards here who who could and yeah. need to fire. But these are the kind of guys that you know. If like I said, you, you want to put points on the board, and those are two guys that can do that.
3: So this is probably where I started with the GWS stat that I had for the something I noticed about the three goals. This is where I started looking at Brisbane and how often they can get guys rolling through. So I had to go up to four goals for them, but they've had that happen 17 times, which is the most of anyone. They've had uh, five or six different players kick uh, four, six different players kick four goals this year, which is the most of anyone. So again, you're looking at. Yeah, X-Factor, it's going to be Charlie Cameron, Rayner, Hipwood, Danaher, Gunston, or even Zach Bailey, and, and Lincoln McCarthy's name's not even on there, that mm. one of those guys can kick, come up and kick three or four goals, yep. and, and they very rarely do it in the same week. So X-Factor for Brisbane is, yeah, one of those guys popping up to kick four goals. Ryan Burton, for me, for Port Adelaide, has probably flown under the radar the last six weeks. Um, again, he's 23rd in the comp for overall rating points, but we've got this new measure called the ratings 100X, which just looks at the position you're playing how many minutes you're playing and how many points you're expected to get mm. um, to sort of, you know, so again, you look at the top 23 rated players 19 of them are probably going to be midfielders so where does an actual general defender rank if he's putting that sort of output out um, so looking at the ratings 100x he's the 5th best player in that time in terms of the minutes he's getting and the position he's playing and, and the output he's doing so really, you know, it spoke about how much Port don't rely on that end-to-end ball movement he is that one player that can get some good quality ball movement from the back half
2: Well, we mentioned off the top we'd have a special guest joining us. Jasper Chalepa is his name, and he's been doing a mountain of work for the website. You can read his gear at ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL. Jasper, good to have you back how have you been travelling? Uh, I know the
1: <laughs> Bombers didn't have the best end of the season. Uh, things okay at your household? No, the Dons weren't great. Yeah, it's a bit of a disappointing end to, the, to a promising season to, to start with, but I've got trust under Brad Scott. Yep, trust <laughs> under Brad Scott. Uh, hopefully next year be bigger and better and uh, maybe a return to finals is on the cards then. Oh uh, well,
2: yeah, I wouldn't go that far. but yeah. uh, I'm open for it. Maybe for 10 minutes. <laughs> uh, but finals upon us, which also means for uh, 10 teams, the off-season is also upon us. So there's a lot of moving parts happening uh, in the background while we will look at finals and have looked at finals on this podcast there is obviously a lot happening as well in terms of draft in terms of trades in terms of free agency in terms of everything Uh, but now the home and away season is over it's kind of nice to get a bit of a lay of the land ahead of the draft because there is a lot happening the number one pick changed (laughs) hands a few times
1: in the last week were you watching that with interest yeah with real interest um on that was it saturday it was it was just incredible to watch and i I thought before that game was a real danger game for the for North Melbourne in terms yeah. of winning it um, yeah and, funny yeah. to call it a danger game yeah, yeah, yeah. When it, it when is when... weird like that yeah, yeah. but uh, you you look at you look at that game you look at how Harley Reid's fortunes have changed over the last week he was a you know North Melbourne player for a week and now he's, he's you know West Coast player have you ever seen watching. anything like
0: that just the he must have been like Looking at houses in one
1: state, <laughs> then it's just
0: unbelievable.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's completely um, one one we've never seen before, I don't think. Uh,
2: but it's not just him. Like, So there's a, a lot happening in terms of Gold Coast Suns Academy as well. We've talked about this last time you're on the pod, but there are, I think, three names on there within the top sort of 20 to 30 picks that the, the Suns could be interested in. Obviously, they've got a bevy of picks. They've got the number four pick at the moment, but they've got a bunch. I think they've got eight other picks already in this draft. Yeah, they do. But they'll probably look to move that on. The Eagles might look to move the pick one on because they'll probably go after a local talent, so there's a, a local WA guy. Where do you want to kind of start with all this sort of stuff?
1: Well, at, at the very top with, with Harley Reid, West Coast has a decision to make here. Yep. Um, and, and that is either if they stay at one, they will take Harley Reid. He's the best player in the pool. They know that. And Dan Curtin's the guy you're alluding to, the, the key defender out of WA. He looks a real a real, um, a real player for them in the future if they choose to trade down. The, the problem is he's playing too well for them to to trade down past pick two, he probably won't be available. So North Melbourne, for for mine, is in the box seat to to trade up for Harley Reid if West Coast is is happy to do so. So after all that? Yeah, yeah, Uh, they've got uh, Port Adelaide's first rounder, which will probably fall 15 to 18 wherever they finish up. So they might just have to give that one up um, Mm. and that could be the deal uh, to be done. Or West Coast could play some hard ball if, if they think they can get more for for what will end up being Dan Curtin and a few you know later picks Talk to
2: us about the Suns Academy because there's one prospect in particular who could be you know top three worthy Um, so Jed Walters is the guy he's he's big powerful uh, key forward I think so what's the likelihood of what happens with their pick four I know they've got uh, a lot of other picks further down the draft rankings where they will be obviously able to bank points but is that likely to see uh, a movement as well
1: yeah that's that's the one that's the one in the top 10 that teams really want and I think Melbourne is probably in the box seat for that one when you when you look at what they have and the quality that they're trying to acquire on their list. They're looking for those guys at the very top that they really like. So for me, I think that sun's pick four. They still need to accumulate a few points. Jed Walter will probably have a bid on at two or three. I think he's the best key forward in the draft pool. You've also got Ethan Reed and Jake Rogers, who I have you know bids being placed within the first 12, 13 picks. In the draft. So the D's currently have their first rounder, pick 24 from Fremantle, their mm. second rounder, um, and a late second as well, their second rounder. So I think those three picks could be bunched up and in, in, in a trade for, for pick four, which would give Gold Coast the, the points they need to match those bids, as well as Caleb Graham in um, the second or third round as well. He's another Academy player. They've got you know, just a huge Academy Hall coming through. Uh, there's also a couple of uh, Tasmanians
2: in the draft as well, and one of them uh, looks potentially likely to be packaged up as part of a deal
1: with uh, North Melbourne and the AFL so uh, Riley Sanders is his name, what can you tell us about him? He's the best contested midfielder in the draft and we, we talked probably a couple months ago on this podcast about this Tasmanian crop coming through, I've got four Tasmanians in the top 25 now Riley Sanders is one of them. He's uh, a bit of a Tim Taranto type. I don't think his foot skills are elite. That's why Colby McKercher um, is ahead of him as the best midfielder in this pool. But uh, he's easily the best in and under type. Interesting, Christian.
2: Uh, you also do a bit of this sort of analysis at Champion Data of the the young up and coming players. Is there anything that's sort of taken your eye from from the sort of the top ten to twenty prospects uh, that that you've noticed?
3: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, probably the two blokes that we we're just talking about, the two Tasmanians. So Riley Sanders, uh, his championships. I think it was the second most uh, Champion Data ranking points of any Division One championships. Um, going back to I think Caleb Daniel in twenty fourteen was yeah. the only player to average more and. Colby McKercher, who's, who's the other one? They're the top two sort of ball-winning midfielders across the championships for the rating points. One from ball you so
0: the rating points worked out exactly the same. Yeah, at that yeah, level. it's
3: exactly the same capture level um at under eighteen championships as we have at AFL. So yeah, it all sort of stacks up. So as I said, Colby McKercher, sort of breaking down him, Sanders and Harley Reid, they're they're clearly the top three players for ball-winning rating points um across the comp. The one that sort of surprised for the championships anyway, Riley Sanders, I know his, you know his ball use isn't the highlight of his game, but he was actually, he generated the third most points from his ball use as well. So I think uh, Harley Reid was outside the top 20. Colby McCurch was a fair way down. But Riley Sanders' ball use did stack up in the championships with that in and under stuff. So.
2: A lot of allies names that are coming up here. The allies obviously had a really good national championships as well. Are there other names that you've sort of seen from these, these championships and these um, champion data um, uh, numbers that, that really stand out?
3: Yeah, again, there's probably uh, Jed Walter, Harley Reid, who we've already mentioned. Another one that sort of came up high from these four games, Caden Cleary, another, another Allies name that, uh, that we sort of talk about. Um, again, a real attacking midfielder, sort of elite sort of top five for tackles and score involvements across the championship. So one of those players that can, you know, um, get the job done defensively in and under, but also can hit the scoreboard going forward. But you're right, it, there is a lot of Allies names probably in the top 10 or 12 rated players across the champs.
2: Um, Daniel Curtin, so... I guess West Coast fans are probably going to have to get familiar with his name, you'd think. Yeah. Um, what can you tell us about his game and, and why he is now kind of suddenly steadily rising up these rankings he's that we this, see all the time?
1: He, yeah, he's this key defender. He's played in the midfield. He's played up forward as well. He's he's more of a footballer than an athlete. He uh, reads the play beautifully. has soft hands um, in the air and really aggressive. We've debated this hand, so. quite a bit, um, maybe more so off the podcast,
3: mm.
0: but should clubs be looking at those kind of guys, as opposed
3: to the athlete. Well, I feel like we went through a period where it was just get an athlete in and, and let's hope it works out. Again, the one I look at with Daniel Curtin is something, I mean, he might not be a, a world uh, leader in, in intercept marks, but we've been talking about uh, a lot on the podcast this year, how your good footballers and your good markers are now ending up behind the ball, you're attacking mm. players. And that's why Daniel Curtin I think was very, very highly rated early in the season as a defender. The ability to go in and play as a midfield, show that he can sort of understand how to win the ball and sort of work both ways sort of gives you more you know sort of pumps him up as a defender that he can go and play behind the ball but he isn't he isn't just a spoiling right negating defender he can actually make stuff happen from behind the ball which again we're seeing a lot with Darcy Moore and Nick Blakey and all those sort of attacking players behind the ball I think Dan Curtin it's it's the perfect year for him to shine in terms of in in that role and probably the actually the, the perfect pick for the Eagles I mean you look at the state of their defense and and
2: the retiring stars and Tom Barris we're not quite sure about his future um having another
1: guy coming through the system for that defence is probably ideal yeah exactly the ball's down there a lot to be honest and uh, <laughs> Dan Curtin's made the jump to waffle level over the last month which has really solidified those standings so he's done it against the the big boys not just against um, players he's, he's more physically mature than a couple of names that um, probably featured a bit more heavily
2: earlier in the year that I've that are kind of not not necessarily dropped off but I guess there's been interest elsewhere over the last couple of months but Nate Caddy uh, and Nick Watson two very different types of players uh, but they've been highly
1: rated for a long time how are they tracking yeah oh, <laughs> Nate Caddy I rate a lot higher than most I think okay. Nick Watson I'm a little a bit lower than than most on I think uh, what we saw with Watson over the championships and then coming back to Eastern Rangers he hasn't done it in the VFL yet and he, he does. He hasn't shown that he can go through the midfield yet. He's 170 centimetres. We know that he has this small stature, so he's going to be a small forward at the next level, and he probably looks more like a Cody Waitman type than anything else at this point, I think. Um, I love the comps. The comps are the best, aren't they? <laughs> well, it helps give you a little bit of a picture. In your Context. Head <laughs> um, and, and
2: Nate Caddy, I guess looking at the highlights that I've seen and, and reading some of his draft profiles, the questions on him is he's in this in-between kind of height, right? Yeah. So he's not quite tall enough to be a genuine key forward. There are other key forwards in this draft crop and, and who we've seen, uh, you know, Max King, Harry McKay, these 200 centimetre guys. He's more sort of this 192, 193, which is quite, I guess, short for a key forward these days.
3: Is, and again, you, you like the comparisons, Jake. I see a little bit of James Sicily in him as how James Sisley played for Western Jets all those years ago as a 192 key forward, knew that he could play footy, but just wasn't sure that that would be his position at mm. AFL level. Um, and I, I look at similar as Caddy. I think he's going to be more of a half forward, high up sort of, you know, a good overhead mark, but yeah, whether he's going to sort of dominate out of a goal square at AFL level is yet to be seen. Has he
1: rolled through the midfield much? Yeah, he's been in the midfield a bit. And I think it's a very similar campaign to what we saw with Charlie Kern in 2014, 15 it's He's taller than Charlie Kerno was in his draft year. He's mm-hmm. actually bigger as well, surprisingly. So I think he can grow into that key forward mould. He hits the ball with ferocity in the air, and he loves taking pack marks. He's top two or three in the um, Coast Talent League for contestant marks per game. So he's that's that's his one wood.
2: I get the feeling that this is kind of the maybe not the strongest like at the top end, but it's quite a deep at the top end that's the, the, sort of the deepest draft that we've seen for some time. Is that kind of the vibe that you get or is it, how does this compare to other recent
1: drafts? Yeah, my top 9, 10, 11, I think is is really strong and then there's probably a pretty big gap. Okay. Um, especially after 13, I think it falls off a fair bit. But uh, the, the top 10 last year, I think we were underrating that one a little bit and we saw, we saw last of oh, this year that they've all, you know, been able to perform at, at AFL level mm-hmm. really, really well. So um, when you look at the top probably 10, 9, 10, in, in this draft. I'm really excited about it. Uh, a
2: couple of your favourite hidden gems or players
1: that uh, you've kept a close eye on that, that others might not <laughs> have on their radar? Ari Schoenmaker, for one. I'm at 15. I don't think I've seen him ranked anywhere else. He's He had this 10-game suspension for an off-field indiscretion to start the year, right. but he returned halfway through the year. He's a Tasmanian boy. Yeah. Um, he's averaging six more kicks than anyone else in the Co- Coates Talent League. He's 195 centimetres, 94 kilos intercepting kind of half-back type that played on the wing for the Allies. He's got the best kick in the draft, in my opinion. He can kick it 60 metres off his left foot. Uh, a bit of a Jordan Dawson, if you want to comp. Uh, I think if his uh, professionalism catches up to his talent, he could be a real rider. Yeah, I think I remember you talking about him either last time on the pod or in one of the power rankings, um, and
2: you were talking exactly about that. If he can get the off-field right, he'll be an absolute star. And We talked about Charlie Kurnow and how he had a bit of an off-field um, couple of indiscretions in the lead up to the draft and that's why he slipped is he kind of in that sort of slip mold or you can feel like some club could could take a bargain somewhere in the in in the in the early part of the draft
1: yeah well I hope he doesn't get caught drink driving um a couple of days before the draft but I'm I'm pretty confident that Ari Schoenmaker has the potential to be a really good AFL player it depends where he's going to get taken I'd take him in the first round there you go.
2: Uh, power Rankings
1: coming out soon as well. Uh, anything you want to
2: tease from that? Any surprises or are you you're happy to keep it under wraps? Yeah, us?
1: Hawks fans might need to look away because Jath, the younger brother of Chanquath, is in my top 30, this Ooh. Power Rankings. They are able to pick him up if he falls outside the top 40 picks. He's come with a bullet in the last probably month six weeks yep. didn't play much in the um, national championships but his ball use off half back he's going at 80% by foot and he looks fantastic so he's had too much of a good back end of the year yeah well for Hawthorne not for the other yes, 17 correct, clubs yes. yeah um,
2: <laughs> and so remind me that's that's the new rules about the NGA so it used to be uh, you couldn't match bids inside the top 20 and now it's inside the top 40
1: yeah for yeah not for those northern academies but for every other club yeah, yep. yeah. fair enough
2: uh, Jasper been wonderful to have you on the pod um, I think in the lead up to the draft we'll try and get you on you've got a, a mountain of stuff coming of stuff coming. so make sure you do keep up to date with the website ESPN.com.au forward slash AFL Uh, Anything else before you uh, wrap it up? No, good luck to your baggers, all of you in here Uh, We are a a bit of a bagger Big Friday night game (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so that'll be nice Uh, But thank you very much for joining us Thanks, mate We're getting into red time of this podcast Very, very red time of this podcast uh, Sponsored by Subway Jake, really quickly Uh, Thursday night footy in
0: finals needs to go We need to bring back the Sunday final afternoon Oh, no way No, hate that well, I didn't know that was going to be a question. Jeez. Give me Thursday Thursday night over. I really like the Sunday I nah. Well, you can have it yourself. Thursday night is 100 times better. And I think to the, to the point of last week, it should be a permanent on the fixture. I want Thursday night football every single week, including finals and home and away.
3: Christian, Patrick Cripps will be best on ground in his first final. Yeah there's a lot of, well again everyone's talking about Charlie Curno playing his first final Patrick Cripps playing his first final um Jake it's yeah exactly there's there's a lot I'm of guys um again I, I just I just hope that he's on in that first quarter you just don't want to see some fumbly and, and and some nerves sort of sitting in um but I think that first quarter is really going to set up for Carlton on, on, in terms of how they handle the the final seat
2: and finally Jake any redevelopment of the MCG needs to increase capacity to at least 120,000 people to serve demand that's a, that's a big capacity.
0: Where did that one come from?
2: Uh, just the fact that we've got three sell- uh, three sellouts, one at the Gabba, two in Melbourne, and we'll have 60,000 for the Saints. I
0: mean, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily think it needs... The Southern re- Stand needs redeveloping soon. Yeah, but uh, 20,000 more seats? Well, it's a lot shorter than the Northern Stand, right? So you could at least bump up a fair bit. How long would that take? It's going to be like GMHBA, where it's just for <laughs> 50 years, as there's no one there. Um... I don't have much of an opinion on that Fort one. Talk Barrel, Barrel Stadium. Uh, okay, fair enough. All right, that's all we got time for. Jake,
2: you've got to get to Sydney for the UFC. Jasper Chalapa, it was great to have him on. Christian, always good to chat with you. To everyone at home, we'll speak to you in the next episode.
0: Listen to all the latest episodes by subscribing to the ESPN Footy Pod, wherever you get your podcasts.